Spirit of God, be known in this place, be close in this place, be tangible here. I pray that everybody here would say, God was with us today. And I pray that the scripture would not just be like another subject that we study, but it would be like wisdom from God about life and about reality. So I want to get really small here. I want to be almost uh, forgotten at the end so that at the end of this, everybody would say, ah, I love the Lord. I love what he's doing. And so, Lord, we pray for this church that we would be well. We pray for this partnership meeting next, next week that it would be filled with life and filled with the potential of what God's doing going forward. And Lord, I pray for this sermon and everybody who is yearning to be a disciple of yours. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we go. We're, we are in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, something's happening to me. You know how I always say, oh, this is my favorite part of Scripture, and I say it way too often. Nobody really believes me at this point. Um, I wouldn't say the Sermon on the Mount was ever my favorite part of the Scripture, except for now as I'm studying it so much. I've got uh, my men's groups doing it. I've got a Saturday morning class on it, and then uh, out of those two comes a sermon series for you guys. I am falling in love with this thing, and I'm understanding it better. I'm understanding it better. Some people have said over the years something which I never said out loud, never really uh, thought about too much. They've said, like, the sermon isn't like one sermon, like this will be, okay? You know how this sermon is clear and good and short, right? <laughs> you know, some, yeah, just work with me, you know? But they, people say, well, this isn't really one sermon. It's actually a collection of Jesus' teachings that were sort of put together. Um, let's just say some things Jesus said. And Dallas Willard says, they think of it like it's a bag of marbles. You know, like just a bunch of little Jesus sayings, okay? Like a quotation book. There you get like quotations by Winston Churchill or something like that, right? He said, no, this is, this is one sermon. It's got one arc. It's got... It's got a beginning, a middle, an end. It's got a purpose. And I want to try to just get that to you as well as the particulars as we go along. And so let's work together. Just, I'm going to just sort of summarize each chapter, the whole thing here, super briefly, okay? Sermon on the Mount starts off with this saying that's at the top. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's like the first famous teaching of Jesus. He's saying something like, I've come into this world, and I'm not like any other teaching. I'm a teacher. I'm bringing the kingdom. I'm bringing the way heaven is to earth. And all reality is changed now. And repent just means you have to adjust to this. You have to receive it or not receive it. You cannot just ignore it. And it's come, so change quick, right? Something from God has come into the world. It is personified by Jesus Christ. God's ways are seen precisely in the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing, chapter 4. Chapter 5 starts out with saying this. Who's going to get any, any goodness out of this, out, any blessing out of this? And we want to think about what blessedness is, okay? So you know the Beatitudes, and that's going to be our focus today. Uh, blessed are the merciful, and so on, right? Okay, like that. It, like, who gets blessed? And if you want to think, well, what is blessedness? Uh, one one um, uh, author, um, commentator said, uh, he translated this, the be happy attitudes. That is the most bogus thing I ever heard. 
It's not about happiness. I mean, happiness, I'm sure, is part of it. It's this. It's like, who does God bless? How does God extend his arms? Who is under the blessing of God? To whom does this apply? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, you know, or the kingdom of heaven is, has come near. Repent. You know, who, who? Who is this for? Who gets blessed? Now, I'll, I'll bet you anything that in this room, there are people who feel something like there's a curse on my life. There's some kind of thing, I don't know. It seems like it's better for everyone else except for me. And Jesus would say to you, no. Blessings to you. Blessings extend to you. This first portion that we're going to talk about today is about the wide and surprising range of people who get blessed. Then after this, he talks about us being delicious and brilliant, salt and light in the world, real impact makers. We are the, the, the thing that changes the way things. God is working in the medium of people. That's what he does. Grace and truth come to people. They change. They become like flavorful and brilliant, light-filled, and they change the reality around them. Then Jesus goes on to talk about the law and who he is and what is the law and, and how does it come to people, how do people think about it. And he, he, he seems to be answering a question that was rising up about him. This guy is sort of a liberal. This guy is doing away with the law. There's, there's, uh, there's, he's, he's, he's a rebel. He's causing a revolution spiritually, which may in some way be true, but Jesus says, no, I've came to fulfill the law, actually to, to blow it up, to, to, to fill it out, okay? So he'll say a bunch of things like, um, you've heard it say, said, but I say unto you. And that's what we'll talk about next week, okay? This, this idea of like, look, you, so far you've understood the law like this, but no, it's way bigger than that. It's way interesting. And he talks about that. And ultimately, what he's, what he's talking about is what he wants to do, what God's always, his plan is, is to write it in your heart. Not that you would, like, keep it in your pocket, like, honor thy mother and their father. You know, oh, I know what to do. I should honor my mother and father. No, he wants you to love your mother and your father, right? Right? So he's trying to write, he's, he's, he's trying to make you the kind of person who would naturally honor your mother and your father, uh, among other things. He's trying to take the law and put it into people. These are the kind of people who do God-like things, right? Then ultimately, he says this really cryptic thing that has stumbled people for a long time. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's how chapter 5 ends. It's a little, you know, a hopping off point, like, oh yeah, one more thing, be perfect, Okay. <laughs> which is really tricky, and again, we'll talk about this more next week. But the idea is basically this, just be fully complete. Like, be all that you are meant to be in the Lord, uh, like, like the Father. He's got full integrity. He, uh, he wouldn't think of God as being mature, because God was never immature. But he is fully who he is. Perfect doesn't necessarily mean um, no dust in this room or on this, you know, CD or whatever. Perfect means fully what it is. It's, it's actually perfect is a, I think it's a harsh translation. I don't think it really helps us think, but complete, mature, all the way what it is. Uh, even something bad could be perfect, it really, like the Browns went 0-16. They had a perfect season. 
right? <laughs> they did. It wasn't perfect good, but it was all the way what it was, right? Okay. So you, maybe you're going to 0 and 16, celebrate. You did it. You did it. You're perfect. Okay. But you be all the way uh, inscribed upon. Let the kingdom inform who you totally are. Okay. Then he goes to chapter 6. And he has this little bit at the beginning, and it's sort of famous. It's sort of funny, actually, I think, where he says, God doesn't give a flip about uh, faking anything. He doesn't like it if you um, make a big deal out of your charity. He doesn't make, like, like it if you make a big deal out of your righteousness or out of your prayer life or if you're long, if you're loud, if you, if you fast, and everybody can tell you're fasting because you're kind of looking all like, why? Did you ever, did you ever see somebody who was fasting, and it's like, they really want you to notice they're fasting. Yeah, God's like, this means nothing to me, right? You know, the name on the side of the building, the giant check, the charity that draws attention to itself. And it doesn't mean, it's not that it doesn't mean anything. It means one thing. It means like, hey, you got what you wanted out of the deal. You got a little bit of recognition. People thought a little better of you. Fine. God says, I didn't really care about that. Uh, one of Jesus' main point in the whole Sermon on the Mount is this. There's a real God who's very close, who's paying attention to you all the time, and it's absolutely possible to kind of uh, walk in harmony with him. You do not have to strain. He says, the only thing that doesn't really matter is faking things. Which you think about all the religion in the world, and even maybe all the religion in the room. Like, faking is what just irrelevant. Jesus is like, why are you doing that? Don't you know there's like a real God? He's like, he's like a father. And also the father is very real, real. He's, he's unseen, but he pays attention to you. He rewards too. One of the things you see throughout this whole thing is a promise of reward. Um, the Bible's just never shy about saying there's a reward in doing this, okay? We'll talk more about that, of course. And then, famous next thing, anybody want to guess? Yes, right. That's so right. You're all right. It's the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer right, is the famous next part of this where he teaches. It's actually maybe the disciples' prayer. It's just like how to talk to God. It's short. It's sweet. It's to the point. It's about getting bread. It's about getting forgiveness. It's about being a forgiving person. It's about protection from Satan. It's just, it's like, bam, I'm going to need to be protected from Satan. I'm going to need some bread today. Oops, I really messed up all of last week. Please forgive me. Like, it's so basic. It's like, God, could you just take over this thing? That's the prayer, okay? And then it goes on to say how money isn't really valuable at all, or it's only very limited in its value. But what is valuable is you, and that God's care for you, so much so that you would walk through your entire life just with a, with a, a kind of a real lack or almost lack of worry because you matter to God. This is Jesus teaching about what's true is true, the kingdom of God, and how we would engage with this. These blessings are open for everybody. If, if, if you would let him write on your heart, even take you all the way to maturity, you'll end up being like a flavoring, a great flavoring for the world. You'll be light to the whole world. But don't fake anything. Here's how to pray. Really short how to pray. And, of course, you know, money's not a big deal. God's got enough money for everybody. And don't worry about that. But you, you are a big deal. God super cares about you. So don't worry a lot. And then he goes on to the famous uh, part of chapter 7 is don't judge. 
Don't anybody judge. It's the uh, log in your eye part. We'll get to that. But, but one of the things about trying to do anything, making any progress at all in righteousness, is you in anything, is you tend to start looking at people who aren't making progress. Right? Do you ever lose some weight? Think, man, these people are fat. Like, what, you know, <laughs> right, right, right after you lose weight. Because why? Because you're like, yeah, I got a little something, something. And, you know, do you ever stop smoking? Right? You're saying, everybody's smoking. Why are you people smoking? No, you know you shouldn't smoke. Right? All of a sudden, you're looking down at other people. And just like pretense, just like false fronts, Jesus is like, this is irrelevant. You're terribly suited to judge. You are a terrible judge. Don't look. You're not like holy God. Don't judge anybody. Then he invites us again to ask big things. Ask, ask. You know who's really smart in this church? I know you're thinking you, right? <laughs> you know who's really smart? The people who come up to ask for prayer all the time. They are taking something that is taught in Scripture and walking it out. Like, I, yeah, I'm going to ask God. Ask, seek, knock. That famous part is in there. Then he talks about the most famous rule the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, just the way you should live, you should, you should actually act out love. It's not just a thought. And then he talks about um, good trees and good fruits. The Dr. Seuss part of the Bible, it's good for you. <laughs> Seriously, when we get to this, you'll see, right? Or you could read ahead. That's another thing, right? Just in other words, nobody who's genuinely bad can produce really good fruit, and nobody who's genuinely good will produce bad fruit. It, what the big deal of the Sermon on the Mount is, how do I get at your heart? How can God change who you actually are? And what he wants to do is not to get you to remember the laws, remember the rules, fake anything, clean yourself up, not do naughty things. He wants to change, to make you a golden rule kind of person a forgiving kind of person, a merciful kind of person, and on. And lastly, he says, uh, this whole deal will make no sense at all if you don't do it, okay? One-sixth of the Sermon on the Mount is about the fruitlessness of hearing things and not applying them. It's to try this part of the Sermon on the Mount. You've got to build on rock. You, the person who builds on rock is a wise person because they hear my words and do them, okay? So now... And you can think about this or not think about it if you don't want to, but, but this is a sweep. It's about a God who's close, a God who would, would create in you Christ-likeness, who would make you the flavor and the light of this world. And we want to start today by talking about this, this bit uh, called the Beatitudes. But we'll just remember this, that behind the whole deal is God's love. He's not up to anything. He's not trying to get more workers. He loves you. He would want to make you a vessel of his love in this world. Um, he, he loves so much that he sent his only son. Whoever would receive this, whoever really put their trust in Jesus will have eternal life. When they die, they won't die. It'll just be the beginning. But it doesn't mean just like death insurance, it means the life of, of heaven being lived out in your heart and in your world and in your relationships 
because you've been loved by God and you become this person who ends up sort of being a carrier. Like you carry heaven into the world, just like Jesus carried heaven in himself. Now the whole, the whole thing is this. You are like the canvas, and what he paints with is grace and truth. Uh, this, this double, this package, this two hands clapping, these two complementary colors of this is all a gift to you, and it's true in a way that you can't contort it to whatever you think. You've got to deal with it as it is. In other words, he doesn't just say that, uh, the, uh, the kingdom of heaven has come. He says, turn around the kingdom of heaven. Repent the kingdom of heaven. is. You're going to have to deal with it. It's grace and truth in the same package. That's the way Jesus is. That's the way he's working. Okay, so now let's, let's start digging in a little bit more. Okay, I reminded you of Dallas Willard, who is a teacher in my life, a person who's affected me greatly, a person I recommend to you. Uh, but whether or not you ever look more into this, he's a philosopher who says, these are four questions that every single person is working out. If you're dealing mess, you're working out these questions. If you're a surfer, you're working out these questions. If you, if you uh, raise horses in Montana, you're working out these questions. If you give yourself to charity, you're working out these questions. What's really real? Really, you shouldn't be a Christian if you don't think Jesus and the kingdom are really real. It's ridiculous, right? The, Jesus comes saying, something's happening now with me. I am the one you've been waiting for. Jesus takes himself that seriously, so should we. And then, who lives a good life? What is the good life? Who is really blessed? Well, Willard would say it's the person who's entered into what Jesus has brought. This reign of God, they're being influenced by it, and they are uh, then kind of part of the conveying that in the world. Who's a truly good person? Well, the truly good person is not somebody who has learned that legally they're supposed to love, but the person who has been so loved that they keep loving other people. They are pervaded by love. That's what God's trying to do. That's why he writes the law on your heart. Not so that you won't divorce your wife, but so that you would genuinely, from the heart, love your wife. Right? Okay? And then lastly, how would anybody ever get that? Well, there's a guy. His name is Jesus. He gives lessons. Okay? So that's, that's the thing. He'll teach you how to do that. That's what the Sermon on the Mount actually is. So that was all intro. Here's the Sermon on the Mount. This is the Beatitudes. Okay, so just this is the beginning, chapter 5, first, first verses. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. And the disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll, they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God, which is a, just an incredible compliment. When somebody calls you a son or daughter of, of anyone in that culture, they mean, when I look at you, I see your parents. 
right? I see that quality. I've always thought of, and what Jesus is saying, when you make peace, you are being like God. You, you look, at, look at peacemakers, and they're just like God, all right? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of things of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. He never hesitates to say there is reward for doing faithful things and being the faithful person. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets before, who were before you. You're the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they'll put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, so now let's take a look at this. We're going to talk about the Beatitudes. These blesseds are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, okay? Um, here's what Willard says about the Beatitudes. Now, you're going to have to work on this a little bit. Just a, It's a big chunk of meat and a little passage all right the beatitudes are doing something he says uh, this is a good one if you're one of those picture takers you just snap that and look at this later okay the beatitudes serve to clarify jesus fundamental message so you think to yourself right now if somebody said what's jesus trying to say why did jesus teach what was he trying to say these beatitudes serve to clarify jesus fundamental message the free availability of god's rule and righteousness to all of humanity, how? Through relying on Jesus himself, the person who is now, and this is sort of funny and free, the person now loose in the world among us. Okay, so he pictures Jesus in the Holy Spirit, uh, just have, he's been set free, he's like wandering everywhere. And what he's saying is the Beatitudes serve to signal this in the world, that God has come and his his ways, his rule is available to a huge variety of people. Now, how do they do this? They do this simply by taking those who, from a human point of view, are regarded as the most hopeless, most beyond all possibility of God's blessing or even interest, and exhibiting them as enjoying God's touch or blessing and abundant provision from heavens, okay? So what, uh, what Willard's going to say that the Beatitudes are is uh, here is a selection of people that we don't think are really blessed. In real life, real people don't think it. And you can think about this, right? Just in our culture, uh, who do we think is living the blessed life? You know, maybe movie stars, right? If you watch the red carpet, one of these award shows or something that seems like it's on every Sunday or something, you know, like... You think like, oh my gosh, these people are gorgeous, they're rich, they're famous, everybody loves them, they have great sex, you know, like, <laughs> don't you, like, they're just, blessedness I'm talking about, blessedness, right? They, they have everything going for them. I'm glad you like that. <laughs> you know, and listen, who do you think of, like, our culture thing, maybe wealth is a big sign of blessing, and we're always looking for uh, signs of blessing. We're always, we're always trying to say, like, like, 
who's got it right? Who, where's, what's, what's right? So let me just give you an example, okay? Do you ever hear people say, like, you know, it, things come in threes? Right? What is, what in the world, how, why, what? What system of reality are you working with? Like, remember the first question is, what is real, right? Numbers as determining anything is not real, okay? So just ask anybody, you know, who's had four kids, right? You don't go like, well, good things come in threes. This fourth one, um, we uh, send them back. I mean, they're... You never think that when you, when you have four of anything or two of anything, it doesn't come up. Or do you ever, somebody like really like pondering under like two bad things have happened. I'm just waiting. You know, oh boy, here we go. Like, it's why, because human beings, the nature of being human is you try to understand reality. What's causal? What's What's at the bottom of all this? And numbers is like a cheap way to do that, okay? So you might think like, um, I don't do that. But let me just ask you a question. Well, just, just think about this. Okay, you have a flat tire on the way home today. You're not going to think anything, right? You're going to be like, ah, bad news. I don't, I don't want to change the tire. I know I'm supposed to know how to change the tire. Whatever you think, okay? If you fix that tire, drive another couple miles, and then have another flat tire, you are going to look for connectedness. What's wrong? Am I under a curse? Is it a tire curse? Right? If you have two flat tires on the same day, you are really going to think, I don't know, did I not call my aunt on her birthday or what? Like, what? You, people try to connect what's going on here, right? And often people try to do this with people. They'll look at somebody who's really sick and say, well, I don't, you know, God doesn't love them. Prayed for somebody earlier today, dearly wanted to get married someday. She's thinking, I've prayed. I don't know what else to do. Fast. And she's like trying to connect all this kind of relation of her actions, how well she's doing in life, how faithful she is to God with whether or not she's going to get a husband. By the way, if you want a really cute and excellent young wife, l later on I'll tell you her <laughs> phone number. But this is how people look at life. Jesus Jesus is, um, he's trying to say, on whom does blessing rest? So, look, here's another thing. This frees us from thinking that all the Beatitudes are desirable, right? Have you ever, I mean, that's a popular teaching, that all the Beatitudes are something you would want to aspire to, you would want to be more merciful because mercy is good, you want to make peace, it's good. And then it kind of works there, but... If you, if you say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, you're like, oh, I guess maybe I should mourn more. I, I need somebody to die. I, right? They're not all desirable. Blessed are those who are the poor in spirit, right? The kingdom of God is like the, there's nothing good about being poor in spirit. Poor in spirit just means like not too sharp spiritually. Right, Dallas Willard, when he talks about it, says, blessed are the spiritual zeros. Okay, my class yesterday rejected that term out of hand. Okay, they just said, that's terrible, Dallas, you're mean. You know, so we just said, what about spiritual novices? Well, what's, what's Jesus trying to say? Jesus is trying to say this. He's just like, 
hey, if you are not on the inside, if you're not one of those kids that grew up in church, you, you don't know all the Bible verses, everybody else seems to have it together, you come to church, you're like, I don't, I don't know, it seems like a good idea to go to church. But like, you just, Jesus says to you, oh, blessing on you. You don't have to earn anything from me. I love you. You are fantastic with me. I love you. And it's not like he's gonna, not going to try to make you rich in spirit. We want people to be rich in spirit. We want people to be able to help out with knowledge of who God is, or they've grown in the Lord, so they're Christ-like. We don't, we don't say to Mother Teresa, you know, like, if only you were poor in spirit, right? We thank God that she really knows Christ, and she's pushing on anybody that's like that in your life. That's what Dallas was to me. It's like an example of somebody who just got so wealthy in God's spirit. But I do know people that say, no, no, you're supposed to be poor in spirit. No. The Beatitudes are about God blesses people not based on their earning anything. And that's what Dallas is saying there. They do this simply by taking people who are from a human point of view as regarding most helpless or hopeless, most beyond all possibility of God's blessing. We're always trying to look who is God blessing, who is not. This is saying God blesses lots of people you wouldn't expect. Let me read from somebody that I wouldn't normally read from, okay? Or I, I just, I don't agree with everything she says. Her name's Nadia Boltzweber, and uh, she's really popular right now as a writer. But she does a thing on the Beatitudes that I want to share with you. Blessed are the agnostics. Blessed are they who doubt. Those who aren't sure, who can still be surprised. Blessed are they who are spiritually impoverished and therefore not so certain about everything that they uh, no longer take in new information. Blessed are those who have nothing to offer. Blessed are the preschoolers who cut in line at communion. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are they for whom death is not an abstraction. Blessed are they who have buried their loved ones for whom tears could fill an ocean. Blessed are they who have loved enough to know what loss really feels like. Blessed are mothers who have miscarried. Blessed are they who don't have the luxury of taking things for granted anymore. Blessed are they who can't fall apart because they have to keep it together for everyone else. Blessed are those who still got, haven't gotten over it yet. Blessed are those who mourn. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are those who no one else notices, the kids who sit at the middle school lunch tables, the laundry guys at the hospital, the sex workers, and the night shift street sweepers. Blessed are the, for, the forgotten. Blessed are the closeted. Blessed are the unemployed, the unimpressive, the underrepresented. Blessed are the teens who have to figure out ways to hide the new cuts on their arms. Blessed are the meek. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are the wrongly accused, the ones who never catch a break, the ones on whom life is hard, for Jesus chose to surround himself with people like them. Blessed are those without documentation. Blessed are the ones without lobbyists. Blessed are foster children. Blessed are special ed children. Blessed is every other kid who just wants to feel safe and loved. Blessed are those who make terrible business decisions for the sake of people. Blessed are the burnout social workers and the overworked teacher and the pro bono caseworkers. Blessed are the kind-hearted football players and the fundraising trophy wives. Blessed are the kids who step between bullies and the weak. 
Blessed are those who hear that they are forgiven. Blessed is everyone who has ever forgiven me when I didn't deserve it. Blessed are the merciful, for they totally get it. That's a good read. That's a good read. And that's what, the, that's what uh, Jesus is trying to say. Willard makes the point that, that uh, so many interpreters of the Beatitudes look at them as aspirational. And it's just the opposite. He goes, Simon and Garfunkel get it. Simon and Garfunkel have this song called Blessed, which is off the Beatitudes. And it says, blessed are the sat upon and the spat upon and the, and the uh, blessed are the sat upon, the spat upon and the ratted on. Good writing. But it, they get it. He says, Simon and Garfunkel get it. Why don't Christians get it? What is being said here is that the blessings of Jesus extend in so many directions, such a wide range. So, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, the meek, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And then kind of another version of that. People who, for Jesus' sake, are insulted or lied about or persecuted. So, those are all things that kind of go like, these are not desirable things. I wouldn't want any of you to go out of here praying to have more mourning in your life or to be uh, just the weakest kind of person or the meekest kind of person or that persecution would enter so we would really grow in the Lord. No, you know, but the Lord would say this, if you're mourning, if you've got bullies in your life, if, if you stood up for Jesus or stood up for truth or, or did something right, there's blessing for you. Somebody's lying about you and it's not really true. Be blessed. All right. But some of these are things that we desire, right? Like those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, they're all like, like a, a mirror of heaven. What Jesus is saying, like all of these do not necessarily get celebrated. Sometimes, yes. But I don't think purity is celebrated in our culture very well. Peacemaking, like real peacemaking be really interesting if that was just right and uh, you know written on the walls of the oval office make peace as much as you can you know or written on the courtrooms give mercy as often as possible you think everybody would rise up and go now finally our country's becoming like Christ or would we say why are we releasing people who commit crimes right so let's look at this list here and we'll just just sort of zip through it here because I've, I've talked about these each in a little bit, but what Jesus is saying in the poor spirit is, look, if you are not uh, spiritually deep, you are not outside of the blessings of God. If you are wrapped up in mourning, if, if you just can't get over the death of somebody dear to you, God will come close to you. I mean, mourning can be so difficult, right? And hang on long after you think, like, why can't I, why can't I get over this? And Jesus just says, look, you don't have to get over it for me. Blessings to you. Here's my comfort to you. I notice you. You don't have to get your act together uh, for me. Um, blessed are the meek, which on the one hand does mean uh, strength under control. But in the sense that he's using it, it probably just means the people who get pushed around. Let me just tell you something about my life. It's, it's just a little thing. I'm over it. But when I, was, when I was like in middle school, I was a little kid. Skinny little kid, braces, glasses, acne. And, I, you know, I literally had somebody shove the books out of my arms like in a TV show. 
you know, like the big, the football players, you know, and it seems like they're so together and everything. And, and Jesus says to the meek, to the people, uh, you know, who, who don't have the pencil that draws a line and says where gentrification can happen in a city. They just are sort of subject to laws. They're, they don't have a lot of ability to just muscle up. He says, look, blessed are the meek. They're still in the inheritance. They're still part of the big plan that God is working here. Blessed are those who really long for righteousness. And righteousness comes up several times in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's an it's a interesting word. It's just a, the word that means when everything is as God would want it, like deeply good. Like when the world is righteous or a, a woman is righteous, it's when God is pervading them. When, when God is has got to hold a righteous person. It comes through the discipleship of Jesus, faith in Christ. But sometimes we think faith in Christ yields us a little sticker on our arm that gets us through the gate. What it yields us is an opportunity to grow in righteousness. And, and sometimes you, you're in a world that you think like, man, I think this whole thing kind of stinks. Like this whole thing is not the way it was meant to be. And you long, you hunger and thirst. Think of the... Think of, you know, genuine hunger pangs for something better. The promise, Jesus says, is it'll be filled. Don't worry, that's where we're going. We're going to where you'll be in a righteous world, and you'll be part of making that world righteous, and you will yourself be righteous. And for the merciful, they'll receive mercy. For the, the pure in heart who just want clean catharsis is the word that we get the word catharsis from they just want it to be clean inside um, they'll see god and for the people who go against this crazy idea that war will in some way make things better people who work and work and work for peace they'll be called just like god chip off the old block you're just like the way god is when he he deals with rebels he gives himself a way to make peace. I want to, you know, refer you to the rest there. There's peacemakers, and then these people who are persecuted, there's blessing towards them, and this promise of being salt and light. But I want to take you to this little imaginative thought as we close the sermon. I just want to get you thinking about what would happen if the teaching of Jesus was actually tried at the end. What would it yield if the Sermon on the Mount just had full effect? Here's what I think. If Jesus' sermon worked, it would yield a community of people deeply aware that they are loved and cared for by a real, though unseen, God who is a father to them, caring for them and, and blessing them individually in a way that's uh, both good to experience, but it's also like a foretaste of something which is very rewarding to come. Jesus spoke of this father as his father, generous and attentive and forgiving. And he spoke of all who responded as sisters and brothers, deeply loved by the same father, who's eager to engage with them, but totally disinterested in any religion or charity which is done for show. Communicating with him would be especially valued and pregnant with possibilities. His thoughts about the best practices of healthy people are foundational to solid lives 
and the only real hope of deep change for the soul. This soul change is open to an astonishing number of people of all stripes and histories if they'll open themselves to it. And it's closed to those who know better and who refuse to change. Those people are sadly left to either a full-blown rejection of God or a life of wearing masks. But to all who receive him, he would give the right to become children of God who are ultimately perfect as their father in heaven is perfect. And they would be mature and blessed and good and non-judgmental and merciful. They would be healers. They would be delicious. They would be brilliant. Why don't you stand up, we'll pray. Come.